Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends pretend to be bartenders and talk about gruesome murders. Each week, we feature a new cocktail, which has to tie into our stories. Although we are a casual comedy podcast, some of our subject material can be explicit. Listeners, be advised. Hey guys, it's Drea. This is Jackie. And we're back with another week of... Killer Cocktails. I went with air horn this time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this week is a really cool episode because we are doing like a live virtual show. And we're like live right now. We are live. There's a... I don't know how many people watching, but oh, 28, my heart's pounding. Uh, there's 20- <laughs> We've got a really large first grade class on our hands. <laughs> Not for California. California would be like 48. We're like half. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we're doing like a, a live virtual show and we're recording and they're watching and listening and it's real fun. Uh, we just made our cocktail, which is the... Bennett. Bum, bum, bum. So the is, I've never had a Bennett. It's tasty. So you and I both like gimlets, and this is kind of a take on a gimlet. Um, there's not a ton of history to this one. Uh, it, I think, first appeared in a cocktail book back in like the 1930s, um, but it kind of was relegated to being an unknown drink. And then there was a bartender. Drea, do you know that bartender's name? I don't have it pulled. Megan. Boom. Don Dorman. Megan Dorman. In t- in 2016, <laughs> she won like a bartender's off, like a bartender competition. Mm-hmm. And I think she won with the Bennett and she loves the Bennett. She loves it so much when she opened her own bar, she named that bar Bennett. And she kind of brought it back into the limelight so that people nowadays are drinking Bennett's and enjoying them. And they're good. It's a yeah. it's a good little twist on a, on a gimlet. There's a little bit more flavors going on. Yeah. If you had the choice between a gimlet and the Bennett, what would you choose? I think I would gauge it off of where I am and what kind of bartender. Because it seems there's more stuff going on. So it seems a little bit more annoying to make. But if I was in a place where you're getting a spendy cocktail and it's kind of expected and I'm probably going to you know, probably tip more than a dollar, then I'd mm-hmm. probably get it there. Bartender yeah. has a mustache. It's suspenders are involved. There's leather, yeah. some copper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Low lighting. Yes. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, sweet. Yeah, so 10 out of 10 would recommend this cocktail for sure. I like it. Yeah. Um, does that, is that the history? That's, That's the history. Is there the whole, isn't really a history. The whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go through what's all in it? Uh, we did earlier when we made it, but just for the people listening for the episode, it is two ounces of a dry gin. It's an ounce of fresh lime juice, half an ounce of simple syrup. And do make sure, try and make, make your own when you can. It's so cheap and easy to do yourself. Um, and then, uh, and Ghostra bitters. But I've heard people do some different takes and try some other bitters to play with the flavors. Mm-hmm. But you're going to do like two, little, two little dashes of, uh, of bitters in there. Shake it up. Get it nice and good. Um, I read a couple things where people were like, strain it, double strain it. This is one where you really just want a cold, icy cocktail, but you don't want any of the little lime pulp getting in there. I oh. I don't mind. I am lazy and I like pulp, so I just let it be. Um, do you know how they do that? Like how they don't make it watered down if they're like shaking it so much? Like you, are they double straining it and then shaking it again to make it cold, you said? No, or just straining no I think it it's more the... about the pulp than about the, gotcha. the shaking. I think... Yeah, the shaking is what makes it so cold. Mm-hmm. The coldest. Mm-hmm. Your your baby hands need gloves. They need little right? b- bartender gloves. <laughs> Cycling gloves. If you know where, if you know where we could get bartending gloves, let us know. Uh, have you seen? <laughs> I saw gloves for uh, using a yo-yo. 
It was a glove on a thumb and like these two fingers and these ones were free. (laughs) It was so silly looking. Well, you don't, we don't know, you know, the life they're leading. Maybe it's an ouchie, you know? Well, I mean, if you're yo-yoing all day long, that's, you're going to get some blisters. Yeah. Oh, and then Ash, uh, Kimry's letting me read the chat room that we have going in the live show. I feel special. Ash says you can also strain the lime juice before you make the cocktail. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. Pro tip. Thank you, Ash. <laughs> uh, perfect. Um, so that kind of wraps up cocktail hour. Jackie? I'm ready for a story if you got one. Everybody in the chat room, we ready? I'm going to say yes, because I'm in control. Uh, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Kimry's in control. Oh, man. Um, okay. So right off the bat, I'm going to cite my sources. Um, Wikipedia. Thank you. Murderpedia. Thank you. Um, there's a podcast called Happy Face that I kind of picked and choose which uh, like episodes I listened to. Um, but Melissa Moore actually created the podcast and she is actually the daughter of the man I'm about to tell Whoa. you about. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to jump right in and I'm going to tell you about Keith Hunter Jesperson, AKA the happy face killer. Okay. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. So Keith is born on April 6th of 1955 in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And he's the middle child. He has, like, two brothers and two sisters on either side. Um, his father is really domineering. Um, he's an alcoholic, and he's really violent towards Keith. And um, growing up, Keith would get most of the abuse compared to his siblings. And um, after moving to uh, Sela, Washington, Keith has trouble fitting in and making friends because he's a little bit larger um, at that age. And to top that off, his brothers are just mean older brothers and they're making fun of him constantly they call him uh, igor or ig and that nickname kind of follows him to school um and because of all the teasing and bullying um keith really becomes a very shy child um and he prefers to play like by himself and he would often get into trouble for acting out and as he gets older um when he's acting out the it becomes more violent and so his father would physically punish him um sometimes with a belt sometimes with his fists or even sometimes or once with a an electric shocker oh my goodness uh-huh um starting around five years old Keith starts capturing and torturing and strangling animals to death. Um, And he also starts uh, setting small fires, um, which is two of the three parts of the McDonald triad that we always talk about. There's also the bedwetting. Oh, and you threw me off with McDonald's. (laughs) And I went, whoa, when do we talk (laughs) about McDonald's? (laughs) Constantly, constantly. The French fries. Um, But yeah, so when you're kind of like looking at those earlier signs, you want to look for those three signs. Um, And so when Keith is around 10 years old, he starts hanging uh, around this kid named Martin. And when Martin and him get together, they just always find their way into trouble. And so um, Keith kind of associates Martin with getting in trouble and getting hurt by his dad. So one time he's hanging out with Martin and he's just like, you know what? Screw this kid. And he starts beating on Martin and he is going at him. And Keith's father comes out and ends up pulling um, uh, him off of Martin and uh, Keith would later say that he was trying to kill Martin Um, and that's at 10 years old and then about a year later Keith is swimming in a lake and he's just minding his own business and another kid comes over to him and like pushes him underwater and holds him there until he passes out what? Uh uh-huh and so he blacks out and then he like comes to uh, he recoups from that and then several weeks later he goes to a local public uh, pool and he sees that same kid and so he swims over to him and he pushes him underwater and he starts to drown Whoa. him but a life a lifeguard sees him and jumps in and like yeah. saves the situation um so lots of warning signs 
Um, in high school, Keith keeps to himself and he like doesn't attend uh, like school dances and he doesn't go on dates. He's just kind of um, his own person um, doing his own thing. And then he graduates high school in 1973. Um, but he actually doesn't go to college because his father tells him he's stu- too stupid to go. Oh. Mm-hmm. So um, no support from the family. Um, in 1975, when Keith is 20, he marries a woman named Rose Huck, and the couple have three children. They have two daughters and one son, um, and Keith starts working as a truck driver. Um, and then after 14 years of marriage, Rose begins to think that Keith is having an affair, and they're getting into all these fights, and she's just not happy. So when Keith goes on a truck driving um, route, she packs up the kids, packs up her belongings, and she drives 200 miles over to Spokane, Washington to stay with her parents. And then Keith and Rose officially divorced the next year in 1990. Um, But Keith would continue to see his children. So he's like still having a part in their um, growth. So at this point, Keith is 35 years old. He's 6'6". He's 240 pounds. And he's like, cool, my life is in shambles. Um, This is the perfect time to go after my lifelong dream of being a Royal Canadian Mountie. Whoa. Uh, uh Um, And so he starts going through the training. He's super stoked about it. Um, He's doing really well. And then he gets injured. And he is no longer longer eligible to continue his uh, training. Oh, it's a bummer. Uh Uh-huh. So he goes back to work as an interstate truck driver. And then he relocates to Cheney, Washington. Okay. Um, So he's alone. And he's driving this truck. And he finds himself at a bar in Portland, Oregon on January 23rd of 1990. Uh, while at the bar, he meets a woman named Tanya Bennett. Oh. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> Bennett is the tie to the Bennett cocktail nice that we are currently drinking. Quite Thank gripped. you. Nice. Thank you. Thank you for the snaps. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> um, so Tanya and him are hitting it off at the bar. And he's like, why don't you come back to my place? So they head back to his place and... Things are going really well, so they head to the bedroom, and they start to get intimate, and then um, an argument starts between them. And it escalates to the point that Keith brutally beats her and strangles her to death with a rope. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Keith then immediately goes back out for drinks so he can, es- so he can establish an alibi. And then he makes sure he's, like, talking to a couple people. He's, like, kind of making a rowdy mess, so people are like, oh, yeah, I remembered him at the bar. He heads back to his house and he grabs Tanya's body and then he leaves her in a secluded area of Oregon near the Columbia River, which uh, borders Washington mm-hmm. State. And then Keith is back on the road the next day and Tanya's body is found a few days later. Um, but police have no sp- suspects or leads um, for a while mm-hmm. until a 57-year-old woman by the name of Laverne Pelvic uh, goes to police and she gives them this full confession. She's like, my longtime boyfriend, John uh, Snowsnick, had uh, actually killed uh, Tanya and I'll tell you all about it because he's been telling everybody. And so they go and search um, John's house and they find a note with T. Bennett on it. And so they're like, okay, Tanya Bennett, he's connected maybe. And then they're like, well, we don't, we're not finding any other evidence. Like, I don't know if this is a good lead. And then uh, Laverne goes back to police and she has um, a piece of jeans. Like she had, she had found um, jeans that had like a piece cut out of them. And she took that piece to the police and she's like, I don't know. I don't know what this is, but this was at his house. And they're like, oh, well, Tanya was missing a piece of her jeans from her body when we found her. So they take him in again, and he's like, I'm innocent. I don't know what you're talking about. This jeans piece business is kind of coinky-dink crazy. But when they take the jeans in, it doesn't match Tanya's jeans. 
Ah. I mean, jeans are specific. So th- <laughs> they are. Threads, texture, <laughs> color. Um, and so they're like, okay, so you're giving us all this evidence, but it's not really matching up. And so then Laverne comes back and she's like, you know what? Actually, I was there with John that night. I helped kill Tanya. I, I held the rope that strangled her. And so Laverne and John go to trial. And during Laverne's trial, she changes her story again. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to come clean. I made the whole thing up. Um, I didn't kill Tanya. John didn't kill Tanya. John is just super abusive. And I was trying to get away from him. And I saw uh, the news article about Tanya getting found. And I made up the story so I could get away from him. Whoa. Uh But the police are like, cool story, bro. (laughs) Oh, it sucks. Uh huh. I don't believe you. So they go to court and they get um, convicted of Tanya's murder in February of 1991. Whoa. Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. And to uh, to avoid the death penalty, John pleads guilty. Oh my. And he is se- he sends to life in prison. Yeah. And then Laverne is sentenced to no less than ten years. So no matter what, she has to serve ten years, and then it's longer wow. probably. Wow. So all this is going on with Laverne and John, and Keith is seeing it in the news, and he's like, "Hey." I, hey, I did that. Not fair. <laughs> I want attention because I'm crazy. <laughs> um, so during one of his truck routes, he stops at a truck stop and he writes a confession to Tanya's murder on the bathroom wall. Like he scrawls it. Oh, wow. And then to sign it, he signs it with a happy face. Happy face killer. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the media doesn't report on this confession on this bathroom wall and police just thinks it, they yeah, think it's, it's a hoax. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. They, they're like, ah, it's one of John's friends trying to, like, get him out of jail. So several months later, at around 10 p.m. on Thursday, April 12th of 1990, Keith is in a shopping center parking lot in uh, Mount Shasta, California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've ever gone from Oregon down to California, you're going through Shasta. I stood on top of that part. mountain. Oh, yeah, you yeah. have. <laughs> um, so while he's there, an intoxicated woman comes up to him, and she's like, hey, my name's Jean. And she's carrying her six-month-old baby. Uh, baby. And um, they start chatting, and Keith tells Jean his uh, full name and that he's a truck driver, and he tells her where he's going next, and uh, their conversation eventually turns sexual, and she gets into her his car with uh, her baby, and they drive to another location. Okay. Um, they then park, and Jean starts performing oral sex on Keith, but then they get into an argument, and Jean stops and asks to be driven home. Um, Keith is really angry at this point, and he's trying to get her to uh, finish, and Jean starts to fight back. And so Keith gets really physical and starts assaulting her. Um, he starts to strangle her. But then ultimately he decides he doesn't want to also have to kill her baby. So he takes her back to the shopping center and he pushes them out of the car. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Jean immediately goes to the police and tells them Keith's full name and occupation. Because yeah. he gave her all of that. And so police catch up with him in Corning, California. And they arrest him at gunpoint. Whoa. And so they take him in, and he's able to convince them that it was all just a misunderstanding and nothing to see here, folks. And he's released from custody. But, um, but yeah. I mean, isn't she a little disheveled when she goes to police? I mean, he, like, roughed her up, didn't he? Mm-hmm. She may have been partaking in sex work at the time. Okay. So um, at the time, police yeah. weren't taking her seriously, um, which is very disappointing. Uh, but despite this, Jean still files a sexual assault uh, charge against Ke- Keith. Yeah, but Keith doesn't appear for court, so a felony uh, warrant is issued mm-hmm. for him. 
So he's out driving his truck and he's a, he's a free bird. He's just living his life. Um, and then he goes to a way station in Iowa and they like run his whatever through whatever. And then the police are like, ooh, what's up, Keith? We got you. Um, but the Shasta County's uh, warrant is so weak that the charge is reduced to a misdemeanor and the cost of extradition is too high. So Keith is eventually exonerated of all charges. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so on August 30th of 1992, the body of a woman is found near Blythe, California. She had been raped, strangled, and um, her name is believed to be Claudia. Uh, a month later in Tur- Turlock, California, the body of Cynthia Lynn Rose was discovered and she was also strangled to death. Um, Keith's fourth victim, Lori Ann Pendleton of Salem, Oregon, is found in November and she had also been raped and strangled to death. Six months later, in July of 1993, a Jane Doe is found in Santa Nella, California. Police originally consider her death as a drug overdose, but later her murder would be linked to Keith. So, because he's just cruising, he's just a trucker, so he's all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of the perfect yeah, serial killer he, profession. Mm-hmm. No, don't give them hints and tricks. <laughs> I, and... I feel like they they do enough uh, <laughs> research on their own. They don't need to listen to this podcast. Ah, um, and then more than a, a year later, in September 1994, another Jane Doe is found in Crestview, Florida, and her name is believed to be uh, Suzanne. Um, so it's about this time that Keith is again getting antsy and being like, why isn't anyone paying attention to me? So he starts to write letters to the media and police departments confessing to his murders, starting with a six-page long letter to the Oregonian in which he reveals the details of numerous killings. Oh. And he, uh-huh, and he signs each letter with a smiley face, and then the media starts referring to him as a happy face yeah. killer. Um, and then in January of 1995, Keith agrees to take a woman, Angela Sabrise, from Spokane, Washington, to Indiana in his truck. Okay. And about a week into the trip, uh, Angela apparently starts asking Keith to drive faster because she wants to see her boyfriend, and Keith gets really annoyed about this. And so he ends up um, raping and strangling her to death. Um this is graphic. Um, he then straps her to the undercarriage of his truck what? and drives with her face down in order to make her body unidentifiable. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and then two months later, after murdering Angela, Keith decides that his longtime girlfriend, mind you, he is still has children and he's raising these children off and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's dating other women while this is all happening. Um, longtime girlfriend Julia Ann Winningham is only... Oh, he's like, she's only interested in my money. And so I can't have this. And so on March 10th of 1995 in Washington, Keith meets up with Angela and strangles her to death. Her body is found and police start going down the list of potential suspects. And yeah. obviously Keith Keith is her boyfriend. So they're like this is top a real of the list, dumbo buddy. move. Um, so, uh, they bring Keith in for questioning, but he refuses to talk. So, uh, they let him go. And then he attempts suicide twice, but he's unsuccessful. So he turns himself in, hoping that the judge would go easy on his sentencing. Um, and then while in custody, Keith tells them all about the murders. He's, uh, he tells them all about the ones that I mentioned earlier. And then he's like, and I might've also killed another 160 women. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, Keith would later recant, uh, this confession. All of it? And then, uh, all of it. Yeah. Um, and then also a few days before the arrest, uh, he wrote his letter, uh, a letter to his brother and in it, he confessed to eight of the killings and, um, these killings are in California, Florida, Nebraska, Oregon, Washington, and Wyoming. So he's like, 
yeah all over um and then this leads to police in those areas reopening cold cases and then they start contributing more um, murders to him Uh, oh on a separate note uh on november 27th 1995 more than four years after their conviction uh laverne and john are released from prison since keith confessed confessed to the oh my god i forgot about those two I know. Oh, oh, oh I can't believe. Uh. I know. I know. That. You, I'm annoyed. What? If you. The fact that like what put him away, what put him away was the fact that she said so like maybe she gets a different sentence for, you know, lying. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then. Keith is ultimately sentenced to three consecutive life sentences, and he starts in Oregon, uh, but then he gets convicted of another uh, murder in Riverside County, and so he's extradited down to California. So he's just kicking it in California until his three life sentences are up. Dang. Uh-huh. And that's the story of the happy face killer. Good one. I Cheers. Don't, I don't... I think I'd heard that name before. I don't think I knew anything about those. But you've heard... Like, I think... Is that pretty common? People murdering people being truck drivers. Not that all truck drivers are murderers, but that sometimes there's a little <laughs> correlation there. Yeah. Well, I know I keep talking about it. I'll, I'm going to have to cover it one day. But there's a guy who kept jump, jumping on the trains. trains guy. You've talked about him a couple times. I know. Can you find us a train cover. cocktail? Something called the, ca- the caboose. <laughs> <laughs> on it. I'll bet there's a drink called the caboose. <laughs> um, yeah um perfect <laughs> we'll find it um but yeah no just so crazy that and and then like i didn't like i said i didn't listen to the whole podcast but his daughter melissa does a whole podcast of being like a this daughter of a serial killer yeah and just like what it was like like growing up with him and how at one instance he seemed normal but then looking back at it she can see a change in his mentality yeah so is her yeah. is her podcast just about that? Like, what is her podcast about? Um, it's essentially her growing up with him and then kind of talking about the murders. She's so actually it's, just kind of, it's uh, like linked. serialized. Like, she just kind of like mm-hmm. takes you chronologically through. Yeah, yeah, it was really well produced. Hmm. Like I said, I only listened to parts yeah. of it, but it was the parts I listened to were very good. Um, but yeah, that kind of wraps up my story. Dang. You ready for intermission? Intermission time. Oh, I'm getting a note. This is this just in. Jillian, do you do you write out senses or just bullets? Jillian's question to you. Yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna let those people know. You just sounded like you were saying Jillian. Jillian, I need you to answer this for me. Do you write out sentences or just bullets for your cases? Great question, because we do it differently. I write out sentences, but sometimes I'll go off. But um, especially right now, I'm very nervous with everyone watching me. <laughs> so uh, for the most part, I like rewrite the stories. I like take everything, compile it, and then rewrite it. I didn't think I was going to do that after college, but, but there- geez, we have a lot of homework. <laughs> And then Jackie, what do you do? You mine you... really depends on the story. So I will, um, if it's one, depending on how I absorb the information too. Like if I listened to a podcast about it, or if I watched a show, 
or it's one that I already kind of knew and I've talked about in life or with other people, then mm -hmm. like sometimes I won't even look at any of my notes and I'll just look at them if I need like a date or like I'm going to mess up a detail. Um, like when you did the one with the concert that I knew no one, you didn't look at one scrap of paper. You did that all from the fly. Yeah, so, sometimes I'm just telling amazing. you a story and then like I'll, I'll check in case I think I'm going to mess it up. And like for the other live shows we've done, I try to just have it be where I'm telling a story. Um, then there's some where like they're just super detailed or there's or I only read about it or it, so sometimes I will write exactly what I'm going to say and it's a whole sentence um, and I'll like free off of it. Um, mm hmm. Yeah. I like that. Um, and then Lori said to me, nice tie, Drea. <laughs> you don't know you don't know my tie yet. You can't claim victory I, until I you know. know my tie. <laughs> I could glow a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it is a good tie. We have people. I think we should vote. <gasps> vote! Yeah, yeah. Yes! <laughs> Sorry. I'm not excited. You're excited. All um, right. Um, so we're going to take a break. So if you guys need to go potty or you need to like get another drink or you guys just sit and talk to me. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go potty real gonna, fast. Okay. Have fun. I'm going to unmute everybody. So if you guys want to chat with Drea a little bit, you can. And Hey guys, this is future Drea coming to you from the future. It's much better here. Believe me. Okay. So a little backstory of what's going on in the live show at this moment in time. Um, we took an intermission and we got to chat with every person that came to our live show. We're on this group Zoom call. I think there was like 38 people at one point. Um, it was super cool. We talked about true crime. We talked about life. We talked about our origin story. We we did a show and tell of pets. It was so much fun. Um, we even had a listener, Janine, who stayed up until 3 a.m. her time because she lives in the UK. And it was just so cool to chat with her and everybody. Um, so yeah, that's what was going on. And I just wanted to let you know so I can introduce the real intermission. Enjoy. Hey guys, it's me, Drea, coming to you from Jackie. Intermission. Um, Jackie, what do we got going on in intermission land today? Well, I think we were just going to address the fact that uh, the world is upside down. Everything is nuts. I haven't seen, like, hung out with you guys in weeks. And uh, it's nuts. Everyone is stuck quarantining or, you know, staying home, staying healthy, trying to limit their exposure to people. Um, people are losing their jobs. And, I mean, you and I just got furloughed from our job for months. Um, it's crazy out there. And, uh, what I kind of wanted to say was we'll get messages from people that are telling us how much they appreciate the, the break from everything by having something lighthearted, even though it's kind of dark to, to listen to. And that while it's, you know, it's nice to hear that from people. It's also, it's nice for us. Like we appreciate hearing that we, it's fun for us to do this. And it's a nice way to kind of stay connected with you, Kimmery and Drea. Um, so I guess I just wanted to, to kind of say thank you to everybody for, for listening and appreciating what we do. Yeah, 100%. Thank you guys so much. Like, I, I think I've been interacting with more and more of you on social media. I think we have a lot more time on our hands, and it's just been really awesome to connect with you. And um, we actually got a couple more reviews on iTunes, too, which was really fun to read. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're at 102 ratings, which is super cool. We finally hit that 100 mark. Um, and uh, I was going to read you the latest uh, review. Uh, it's by Scoffs Off, and he's like, what a, sh what a fun show, or maybe it's a lady, but th this person, what a fun show. And uh, it says, a goofy take on mixology and murder, what a treat, v very casual and funny. 
So he definitely read our casual our uh, our slogan, uh, casual. Um, and then also, um, like we were saying, this is a crazy time, and uh, we know that. Um, you know, some of us are out of work and some of us are still in work, but, uh, we wanted to give a big shout out to those who are still donating. Um, thank you, Kathleen. It means so much that you, um, have a recurring donation with us and also to Stacy, uh, and Carrie. Thank you guys so much. Um, that truly means a lot, especially right now. So. It's helpful, yeah, because you know we we have to buy the ingredients every week, and it, we have to pay to host the episodes online to be able to push them out to iTunes and all that. Um, yeah. And then the other thing uh, was if you are tight on it's tight times, mm-hmm. it is free. We all have so much time on our hands. Uh, bump over and throw on a review. You know, rate, like, subscribe. That does push everything up in the the rankings so other people can can see us and can hear. Yeah. So thank you guys so much, and. Enough about this. Let's get back to the murder. Before back we, to the stories. Before we get back to the stories. Damn yeah. it! <laughs> what did what did we miss? You guys did great. <laughs> you guys did great. Yo has a question that I think would be really good, and a bunch of people wanted agreed. They have the same. Question. Oh, okay. So if you could read that. Is there? Sorry. <laughs> Try can read, guys. I swear. My eyes are bad. It's so. Can you make it enhance? And hence, no, okay, okay, okay. When we're allowed to see doctors again, you're going to the eye doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor. <laughs> I don't go get gas. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> Here in Oregon, in case you don't know, you have to wait for some hooligan to come pump your gas. And I don't know this person. And don't touch me. Some <laughs> kind person that while it's snowing out is going to pump your gas so you can stay in your nice warm car. Uh, yeah. I'll be driving back to California, and I'll go, ooh, I'm almost in California. I better stop and get some gas, or I'm going to have to get out of the car. I've never had a gas attendant touch me, so if that's just <laughs> I'm going to the wrong gas station. You're going to the wrong okay. gas station. Oops. Okay. Okay. Um, yo. Um, uh, okay. There it goes. Is there any way to review slash help you guys out when I don't have Apple Podcasts? Oh. That's a great question. I don't understand computers. It's a way that makes in? me old. What? Through your iTunes? ID. Oh, I mean... You don't have a Mac, but you have an Apple... You have an iTunes. Have you guys you? always tell me. I don't have a Mac. Um, <laughs> um, I don't have a Mac. Oh, look. It's my sticker. I'm not conceited. I just like our sticker. Um, <laughs> um, our friend made the logo. She did. Um, so I just have a re- regular old PC, and I just downloaded iTunes because there's like an app. Uh, on my phone, uh, on the on the laptop, and I just made an Apple like account. Um, it's you re- didn't have one before, like no. just having an iTunes from college. No, why would I? No, this C- blows my mind. Do you know why? Because it's really glitchy. This thing is so glitchy on my PC. Like it's it's a silly it's a silly well, music. Well, because they don't thing. speak to each other. Yeah, it's made to work with awesome products. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I, I, I'm, there's aggression coming from me that's unnecessary. Oh, okay. <laughs> We'll get into this later. Um, but no, um, and like, it's weird. Like, if you listen to things on Spotify, that's great. But those numbers don't really go into our algorithm. Because um, Spotify is still going through legalities of making their stuff legit. So, 
Uh, but still listen if you. <laughs> if that's the only way you yeah, can. Yeah, not, not dogging on Spotify. Um, Did that answer yo and everybody else had the same question? Did that adequately? Answer? Our our answer was kind of we don't know, but we could probably figure it out and then let people know. Okay, well, so I is. I guess I didn't really explain it, but I think you can go to like iTunes.com or something. Blah blah blah. You can just make an account, kind of like if you were just to make a a silly Gmail account, so all your spam could go to it. You can make a silly Apple account, and then you could just rate it. Um, if that's not the case, I will do a blurb on our Instagram about how wrong I was. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, wraps up intermission, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Ba-da-ba-da. Man, that was a really good intermission. Oh, I went to the bathroom. We laughed with our yeah. friends. Yeah, I I really think we should hang out with the gals who do our intermission blurbs. Uh, uh, <laughs> what? They sound real. They sound real cool. Oh my god, you're in such a weird mood. Surprise! It's us. <laughs> in case you don't know, <laughs> uh, I worry what the next several months look like for our mental health. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be glorious. Oh man. Okay. Well, Drea, yeah. are you ready for a story? <clears throat> Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to knock out some of these uh, sources. I have a bunch this week. Uh, Web Sleuths, Oxygen.com, uh, East Bay Times, Murder Squad. Uh, there was a book, Trace Evidence, The Hunt for an Elusive Serial Killer by Bruce Henderson. Lodi News, uh, KCRA, NBC News, a bunch of like local, like a Stockton newspaper called The Record. Um a lot of Bay Area news sources. Dang. Well, good. Uh, shout out to Murder Squad. All right, Drea, are you ready for a story? Hell yeah. Here we go. I'm going to tell you about Lou Ellen Burley. So okay. uh, Lou, like her name is Lou Ellen, but everyone called her Ellen. Ellen grew up in the East Bay. Uh, she graduated from Pleasant Hill High in 1973. Uh-oh. The same high school and graduating class as my mom. As your mom. They knew each other. No! Not necessarily friends, but friendly, and they had similar social circles that would kind of intertwine. What? So, and I remember hearing this story growing up. So after high school... Ellen went to Heald Business College and after graduating was hired on by the college. So she's 21. She lives in neighboring Walnut Creek and she's the office manager for Heald College. And while she's there, she feels a call from this guy called John Brown. And he says that he's going to be opening up a new office for the Helena Rubenstein Cosmetics Company and that he's kind of looking for someone to run that office. So Ellen's like, you know what? I'm kind of over my job here at the college. Um, so I think I'm just going to like snake this lead for myself. So she sets up an interview with him for the next day, which is Saturday, September 10th, 1977. So she gets to the Regency Plaza Shopping Center on Contra Costa Boulevard. Um, this is kind of near 
the things that I read, because when I tried to Google where it was, because there's like memories that I have of my mom pointing it out and where I think it is in Pleasant Hill. And then like people saying that it's kind of on the like Pleasant Hill Pacheco border, which would have been a little bit more north of there. But so they set up this meeting and she gets there and the building, it's all under construction. And so she's like, well, okay. And then, but John is there and he's like, hey, Ellen, um, I thought that we were going to be further along with the construction and we'd be able to have the interview in my office, but we're not there. Um, But I have my van here and it's a camper. Like I have a table inside. We could do the interview in my van if you're cool with it. And she's no, like, well, no, no. she's like, he no. she's like, he called the college. This seems legit. He doesn't seem like a weirdo. Um, so she agrees to go into his ca- like camper van and have this interview. No. So she's like kind of weirded out. But he's like, so she has the interview and it goes fine. And she heads home. So then she sees her brother that night. So this is that Saturday night. And she tells the brother and she's like, yeah. I don't know. I'm like a little bit suspicious of this guy. Um, I think I'm going to call the company and just make sure that he works for them. But yeah, but yeah, then yeah, yeah. he calls the next day and he says, you got the job. Come on down. Like, let's fill out the paperwork. So she talks to her boyfriend before she goes and she borrows a knife and she says, if you don't hear from me, like if you don't hear from me soon, call the cops. No, don't do that. Don't and do they, that end up calling the cops because they never hear from her they find her her car parked in pleasant hill oh my and God. so that was just my mom like my mom would always tell me that she went to high school with a girl that that's what happened and so i was always like uh, like i grew up knowing no, don't go have an interview in a van and like like that was just kind of like <laughs> a story that my mom told yeah very specific yeah okay yeah don't go have interviews in like vans. D- just know that that's not something you should do as a young lady or anybody don't go sitting in vans having interviews so yeah. then, so I'll flash forward a little bit. Uh, I don't know how old I was. Well, I guess based on the story, I, at some point in the 2000s, I'm like sitting at the house and I just hear my mom in the other room. She's reading the paper and she goes, oh my God. And then she comes in, she goes, I've told you about Lou Ellen. And I go, yeah. And she goes, they just, they just found her. Like it took 30 years to have the person who killed her admit that he killed her and find her body and like finally get closure. Okay, so let's rewind time. Let's pivot. Let's talk about Roger Reese Kibbe. So he's born in 1941 down in Southern California. And kind of from the get-go, he has a hard life. His mom beats him. He's bullied in school. He has a stutter. By the time he's a teen, he's arrested for petty theft. He's just kind of acting out. And he's also just kind of being a general creep. Um, He gets caught prowling. He's seen stealing women's bathing suits and stockings. Um, When he gets a little bit older, he moves to the Bay Area. He marries a real kind of battle axe lady that's kind of like his mom. That's kind of overbearing. Um, He makes and sells furniture for a living, and he becomes an avid skydiver. Okay. Um, As a side note, Roger's brother uh, is reportedly a homicide detective up in Tahoe. What? What? So that's crazy. Yeah. So there's some some people think that he kind of like picked his brother's brain for, <gasps> inf- to inf- yeah, the skirt yeah. The Not that his brother yeah. was in on it, but that he inadvertently kind of like gave him tips. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so John Brown is Roger Kibbe, and it's believed that Ellen was his first victim. Um. So the next known victim is Laura Hedick. She's 21. She lived a high li- uh, high risk lifestyle. Um. She would sometimes sell drugs. Uh. Sell sex for money. Uh, for drugs and she was seen getting into the car 
with a 50-year-old guy on April 21st, 1986. So big jump from 1977 to 1986. Um, Her body's found months later off of I-5 in like southeast kind of Sacramento area. Her, Her clothes have like, they've been cut with scissors in a bizarre pattern. And she was um, restrained with parachute cord and oh. strangled with the clippings from her clothes. So then oh. there's, it's a little out of sequence because she was killed earlier, but her body's not found till later. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so on July 2nd, Laura, uh, so this is after Laura, but before they'd found her body. So they he makes a date with a sex worker in Pittsburgh, California. So not Pittsburgh over on the East Coast, but over here. Um, and her name is Barbara Ann Scott. She's 29. And she ends up, he, like, pays her to, like, be with him for the whole night. And he ends up strangling her with her own sweater. And then he hides her body under a tree on an Antioch golf course. Then a couple weeks later, on July 15th, he abducts Stephanie Brown. She's 19. Her car was found along I-5. And her body was found in a drainage ditch. And she, just like the others, had been raped, strangled. Her hair was cut with scissors. He was cutting their hair in odd chunks with scissors. She had just been giving uh, friends a ride home, and they didn't really know why she would have pulled over. And so later when they get Roger talking about this stuff, he gives them some excuses that they don't believe. Like, police think that he was impersonating a police officer and got her to pull over and then abducted her that way. I hate when they do that. Because you're supposed to pull over. This This one's really scary. So on August 17th, Charmaine Sabra and her mom are driving home from shopping and they're going along I-5 when their car breaks down. So this dude pulls over and he's like, hey, are you guys okay? Um, I'll give you a lift so that you can make a phone call. But he's like in this little sports car that only has one other seat. So Charmaine is 26. She stays with the car. Her mom gets in this little sports car. Her mom goes up the road with him, makes a phone call. Nobody picks up. So then mom comes back with the guy and he goes to like leave her there. And then he's like, all right, well, you didn't get a hold of anybody. I'll give you guys both a ride, but I can only do it one at a time. So then oh. the mom is like, well, take Charmaine. She's got a little kid at home. So then Charmaine gets in the car and she's never seen again. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that heartbreaking? That one, I. That's so sad. Because you have no idea. You, you have, have no, no idea. idea. Like, you he think... just took your mom. Everything was fine. You're broken. De- like, all of it's it's awful. It's a good Samaritan. Just help it yep. out. So then uh, a couple months later, I think her body's found by hunters and same thing. Like she's been raped and strangled. Her clothes are cut up weird. He's cut her hair with scissors. Um, so cops are starting. They're like, okay, so he's, they've picked up a name. And now they've got the I-5 strangler. And he's a known serial killer that's going up and down the five. And he's uh, either going after women in distress with their cars or sex workers. That's kind of the MO for them. So... They they start setting up these stings and they're like, okay, let's get some female officers. Let's have them be with like hoods up on the cars so it looks like they're having trouble. Let's try and catch this guy because he's just going to try to do this with a, with a police officer. They don't catch him that way, but they do catch Roger on just a regular old traffic violation. And when they pull him over, the cops are like, whoa, this guy looks so much like the composite sketch for the I-5 Strangler. And they take photos of his car and they let him go. I mean, they couldn't. Like, yeah, he hold he, him on anything. I don't. Nope. Uh, wait. So, did he have survivors? That's where they're getting the composite. So the mom, because he let no, the he mom gave the mom okay. a ride. So she spent a decent amount of time yeah. with him, and then watched him yeah. take her daughter away. 
Ugh, that's so, so sad. then Roger abducts and kills Catherine uh, Kelly Quinones. She's a 25-year-old sex worker from Sacramento. They find her body up near Lake Berryessa. Um, then in September 1987. So first murder back in 77. Now we're in 87. We're out of the prime of the time. Yeah, now it's just day glow and the 80s. So uh, Roger tries to abduct a sex worker in downtown Sacramento, but she fights him off and then she runs and like flags down a cop who goes, who gets him. So now they've like pulled him over. He's just attacked a woman and mm-hmm. in his car, they find a kill kit that consists of handcuffs, scissors, like the jig is up. So they yeah. charge him for the battery and solicitation so that they can get him in jail. And they're like, this is the yes. I-5 strangler. Like, let's get the rest of this while he's locked up. We got eight months to figure this out. So uh, the first murder that they uh, try him for is the murder of 17-year-old Darcy. Whew, this isn't it. Oh, I wish you could try and say this one. I think her name is Frackenpole. Perfect. 17-year-old De- uh, Darcy Frackenpole. Uh, she had been a runaway, and they found her body up near Lake Tahoe, where Roger's brother lives. She had been strangled with parachute cord and fibers that they found uh, either on her or in the scene connect to three other murders. So that's how, how it does all he have so much starts trick like trickling. That's crazy that he's using his parachute cord. I feel like that would it's like not a lot of people have that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you can get it at like army surplus stores like you can get it at camping stores. Um, mm, all right. And it's strong and he has it readily available. Yeah, it does seem like a bad idea. Ah. Uh, uh. Um, So once he's in prison and DNA kind of advances, they're able to tie more and more crimes to him. Um, By 2008, he's charged. They charge him with six more murders. That's the all the stories I just told you of those women. Those are what they tack on. Um, And in an attempt to avoid the death penalty, he confesses to all these murders. So that's how they find out about Ellen and they tie it to Ellen is he says, I this was the first person I killed. I killed Ellen Burley. Uh, Her body's up by Lake Berryessa. Blah, blah, blah. So part of his deal was he had to lead them to the body so that her family could get closure. Yeah. So he like from they've got all these interviews with him and he's describing where he took her. And then because basically what he says is that he took her and then by knife point he raped her and then he strangled her and buried her out near Lake Berryessa. So then they they, at one point they put him up in a helicopter and they're like flying him over the area. But it's been mm-hmm. 30 years and like the landscape has greatly changed and they keep saying like, hey, based on what you've told us, we think down this little dirt road that this is probably where it is. And then he'd be like, no, the, those boulders are the wrong color. That's not the right. And like they couldn't get anyone to agree where to spend the time to search. So then at one point, there's this cop that lives kind of near there, and it it involves all these different districts and all these different cops. But there's one guy who lives close, and he's like, I truly think it's in this dry – I really think in this dry creek bed is where we're going to find Ellen. And so he heads out with another police officer, and they, like, limit their search. And pretty quickly, like, a needle in a haystack, by true luck, they find a, a bone, a female bone in this dry creek bed. Whoa. And that's my tie is dry for the dry gin. All right. I like I was so into your story that I'd like forgotten I know. all about the tie to the cocktail. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, all right. so they find all this right. bone. They send it off. So first they're like taking pictures of it and they send it to Chico. And then Chico's like, yeah, that looks human. Then they send the actual bone off. And then it takes a year for them to finally go. Yes, that's Llewellyn's DNA. 
like that's so then yeah. I don't know if they find more than just that bone or but basically they take uh, what they do find and it gets sent up. Her parents have since moved like up to Washington. So they they buried her in Klamath County where she was originally born. But so like they got oh. to finally have closure that they found Ellen's body. They knew what happened to her um, and all that. And, and Roger Kibbe just is in jail. He's incarcerated at Mule Creek State Prison in Ione, Ione, California, um, yeah. which isn't far from where he committed all these crimes. And he's just an old man in jail. That's insane. Do they do they know, like, not definitively, but, like, how many people he killed? Not really. So according to Roger, he's like, yep, all the ones you got are all the ones. There's no other ones. You got me on all of them. And police are kind of like, no way. There's no way for 10 years, especially given the, like, rapid secession of women that one summer. Like, so they're yeah. just like, we don't, we can't tie all of them to him. We don't know. Because um, there's a couple other cases, like if you're on the um, uh, the murder, let me get the right, if you're on the murder squad uh, website, they, like, they have a whole thing mm-hmm. about him. There's two, this was what I was going to talking about earlier, there's two women that they think might be victims of his that he hasn't agreed to saying so and there isn't evidence. And so there's people trying to like crowd solve and try to figure out that if if they are in fact some of his victims and the other theory that they have going is that he's from southern california his dad lived in southern california and he would visit his dad all the time and so yeah maybe they found all the bay area crimes but there might be more Mm -hmm. all along the five or down in southern california that match his mo um to try and help give closure to those families yeah, definitely. I, I'm wondering if um, the group Necro Search has ever been called upon to like help find bodies. They'd have to like get a general sense of where the body was, but they're the ones who find the clandestine graves. Oh. And so, like, um, they've helped with like Ted Bundy's some of Ted Bundy's. I don't think I know anything about was, this. Uh, it's from the book uh, No Stone Unturned. Um, I'm like halfway through it, but it's uh, they bring different experts from different fields so like they would bring uh like the bug expert in and they'd bring like a a soil expert in and they would be like if they did the aerial view with the chopper they would be like okay no matter how good you pack the earth back down it's gonna look different it's gonna look different because you're gonna pack it too light or too heavy or what have you um and so that's how they found uh clandestine graves so i'm wondering if maybe they linked up to try to see but they would need general information of where a body would be but if he's not confessing to any what, other one. What's ones. hard is they kind of had that one window of time with him where he didn't want to get the death penalty, and that's why he was willing to talk. Yeah. That's so hard. Oh, Jackie. Well, very good story. I've, I've always heard of the iFi uh, killer, but I never knew much about Bad him, news. So. Bad news bears. Bad news bears. Jackie, do you need self-care? Yeah. Okay. Bear with me. Uh, Did Kimberly tell you this joke yeah. and you're trying to retell it? Kimri, we've had a lot of walks recently, so I'm. Um, uh, but we t- so, told some earlier. Oh, uh, she's looking at me. Uh, oh, I don't think we'd be good trade partners. Uh, uh, Rainbow, sun, Mr. Golden Sun, wind. Oh, okay, okay, all right, Jackie. There's just a couple windmills hanging out on a windmill kind of hill. Okay. And they're they're doing the wind windmill thing. They're like spinning around, yeah, catching a lot of wind. And uh, one windmill turns to the other windmill, and he goes, "Hey, what kind of music are you into?" And the other one's like, "Ah, oh, shit." <laughs> um, 
I got it. Uh, <laughs> I like heavy metal. No. <laughs> I, I like a little metal. I like, a, I'm a fan of metal. I'm a huge fan. Oh, my God. Jackie. Oh, my God. The windmill. Oh, the my windmill God. Apply. I would think that you're joking, but I know you. You're. This is just you. <laughs> do, do you want to know what his favorite music what? is? He's a big fan of metal. Heavy? He's a big metal fan. Ah! Is he a big metal he, fan? <laughs> he's, a, he's a heavy metal fan. He's a heavy metal oh fan. Oh my god. He likes heavy metal. Dre, did you know what one snowman said to the other snowman? What? Melt? Mm, no, I don't know. What? Do you smell carrots? <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> uh, did you tell me any other ones? I think we got them all. Okay, perfect. Um, it, baby, baby self-care today, but you guys, <laughs> thank you so much for joining our live show. Thank you so much for tuning in whenever this airs. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be on a Monday because it is, it is a Murder Monday kind of show. Um, but you guys, thank you so much. Uh, it means the world to us that you're still listening to our show and you're giving us all the love and support. And we'll see you next week. And remember, this is the podcast where the drinks are stiff. But the bodies are stiffer. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent is Jackie Andrea. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast. You can also head over to our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, where you can find more information about each episode, cocktail recipes, podcast merch. There's even a nifty little donation station button if you're feeling generous. We're a self-funded podcast, and all your donations do really help. Our logo was created by Michelle Michael Art, whose amazing work can be found at MichelleMichaelArt.com. That's Michelle with one L. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlust, and make sure you always tune in every Monday for hashtag Murder Monday. <laughs> uh, the way to Kimmery's heart is with puns. Oh my God, she was in the kitchen earlier and she starts dying laughing. And I was like, what? And she like comes in and she's like, say it. Uh, shit, don't. Okay, there's a night. Oh my god, you can't retell any of her jokes. It's so funny. No, no, no. There's a knight in a field. <laughs> and it's a it's oh, he's surprised. What? There's a knight. And what kind of knight stands in a field? I don't know. I don't fucking know. Uh there's a knight. Yeah. <laughs> he's in a Jesus. field and he's surprised. Wait, let me read what? it. What? What night does nobody expect on the battlefield? What night does nobody sus- suspect on the battlefield? Oh, a nightstand. <laughs> That's funny. Sur- a surprise. Oh, a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So nightstand wasn't a part of it at all? Dre just made that up? I didn't say nightstand. I said there's a nightstand. I heard standing- nightstand somewhere in that story. There's a night standing in a field. Oh. <laughs> I have a night. It was. I get the gist of these stupid jokes you tell me. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh my god. Oh, okay, uh, Paisley. Why are potatoes such good detectives? <laughs> they keep their eyes peeled. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
<laughs> there we go. In case you don't know, um, I don't know what those are, but I call them meeps. <laughs> so you might hear that sometime when we're recording. Okay. <laughs> get them all out. I always have to meep right before we record. Oh, well, we get to edit them out now. So, it's <laughs> so I sound like they're, a normal person. Yeah. They're out there. Okay. <clears throat> ba -da -ba -da. <laughs> Are you talking about the car? <laughs> yeah. Is there a body in there? I don't know. I haven't. I didn't go by today and check and see if it's there. You have nothing but time. What are you doing? <laughs> I went on a bicycle ride. Yes. <laughs> I don't need to be on the news. Is this is this is this the venue that we we put it out that Dre and I are pretty convinced that there's a serial killer in our area? Oh, we haven't oh. we haven't told anyone. We haven't told anyone. You guys haven't told anybody now. Well, because we told people. It's here now. Do you want to see my? Do you? Do. You, <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. We're going to we're going to get a map and we we're going to put pins on it. I already have a map. I'll show you where all the bodies are. Okay. So, so far those are the bodies, not the Oh. Which one of you are reporting Dreas to the police after this? What episode? what are those in my home? I oh, love Dreas, What's wrong with you? I I love you guys, but uh you shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> I didn't want you to think there's that many Wait, bodies. This is a live show. We can't oh my take God. it back once we say it. It's out That's of funny. It, and she's gone. We've lost But her. Drea, Drea has oh, lots no. of guns and a big dog and security guards. 